Hello, Malcolm here, and welcome to a series called Even the Darkness. Even the Darkness. And what's that about? Well, we have two classes on the topics of spirituality, the Bible, emotional uh, well-being and mental health challenges. And the title is taken from Psalm 139, where the psalmist writes, If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, the night become night, uh, the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. So sometimes we're in the dark. Uh, sometimes that's practical, but here it's poetic language. And I think that refers to a lot of the kind of other areas of darkness that we experience. And some of that is emotional darkness, and some of that is darkness within mental health. We can't see the way out. We can't see how, how is God going to work in this. And sometimes when we're in that dark place, we wonder whether God cares. Any of us who have struggled significantly with anxiety or depression, or perhaps with schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or any of those things, there can be the, the sense, is God with me? And it's further compounded, that challenge, by the fact that sometimes we as Christians don't know how to help people, don't know how to be appropriate around people going through these issues. And sometimes the, the tendency can be to just label it all as sin, which is not kind and loving and not even true. I mean, it's certainly true that all the problems in our life are the result of the fall in that sense. But just because someone is having a mental health challenge doesn't mean that they've sinned more than you or me. Thus, how do we address these issues? So these two classes, I think, will help. They certainly won't cover everything, but I really hope they will help because God is in that darkness. He's with you and me when we're in the darkness, whatever that darkness is like. And he's with us as we help people and show God's love to people in the darkness. So these two classes um, are interviews. My, the first one is with my old friend, Jim Pickett. Some of us might know Jim. He and his family were part of the Cambridge Church for a long time. Now they're in El Paso. In those days, previously, Jim worked for the United States uh, military and was, I think, 35 years or so working there. These days, he's finishing up his master's in counseling, in particular in the areas of marriage and family therapy. And his thoughts on the best way for Christians to help other people, I think you'll find very helpful, full of insight and Christian compassion. So I commend to you my interview with Jim Pickett. Well, can I explain a little bit about where I'm coming from with this mental health stuff? And, sure. And then see what uh, what your thoughts are. Because I got, we can do this a lot of different ways, but I, I got some questions on my mind. I thought I might ask you, uh, put you on the spot. Uh, uh, you can always say no, totally fine. Um, so, uh, I mean, the area of emotional well-being and mental health well-being as a Christian has been on my mind for a long time. Mm -hmm. It's been something that Penny and I talked about from the very earliest days we were Christians, actually back in the 80s. Uh, Penny, as you know, is a doctor and she trained in medicine. Uh, she gave up medicine to, to go on staff with me for about 16 years. Uh, but she had an interest in in the emotional and well, and mental health well-being of our members, you know, and, and she was one of the, well, she was the first person really to raise those issues as a staff person back in the uh, mid eighties, I would say. And uh, she even wrote some stuff on it back in the day when it wasn't really being talked about at all. But it's never been, it's never been a big focus for, uh, our, well, it hasn't traditionally been a big focus for our churches and our staff, our leadership, or really, and I think going back into medicine, as Penny did, um, 
about was it 17, 18 years ago now, and she did more work on mental health issues. And a lot of her patients, maybe even the majority of her patients she sees in her GP surgery, there's a mental health issue of some kind, an emotional mental health issue that's at least connected. If it's not the dominant factor, it's certainly a significant factor. So it's very much on her mind as part of her daily experience of work. And, you know, looking back over 30 odd years of being a Christian, I can see so many examples of where emotional and, and mental health issues have been a, a factor in someone's mm -hmm. spiritual life. And sometimes, sometimes for good in a way, you could say in the way that they've learned from it and grown from it and have been, been able to help other people and seen the power of God. But sometimes, you know, very challenging, not only for them, but perhaps for the church community and for those trying to help them or trying to figure out how they can and cannot help them. And there's a lot of confusion around this area. And I'd say even there's controversy, certainly within the Christian world at large there is. And I'd say also in our churches, I think, you know, there are people who feel like this is, it's a red herring or it's a distraction or, you know, it's all to do with sin and it's really about repentance and opinions vary. And it's not like they shouldn't vary. We, we can't want to make everybody think the same way, but mm -hmm. I, you know, I have a, a concern that it's not always thought about clearly and taught about clearly. So in, in the last few years in uh, the Watford congregation where I am, and also the Thames Valley church that I serve, we have done some classes. Uh, we did a set of classes, maybe three or four years ago, where Penny and I talked about uh, depression, anxiety, some things like that, and how, you know, some of the technical stuff and some of the biblical stuff that might help, and how to be as a community. We've had some of our professional counsellors do a couple of classes. Uh, John and Rose Partington have done that. They're qualified counsellors. Uh, Joan, uh, uh, Joan Manku has done um, a class or two. We've had other people with that kind of experience share here and there. So we've had some materials which I'm really I'm really proud of. I think they've done a tremendous job, all those people teaching. Right. So the reason we're doing we're doing two classes this year, neck in next month in May. Uh, every month we do two teaching classes uh, mm -hmm. that are available online. We make them available for people to watch in family groups or that and discuss together. And they're generally about 20, 25 minutes long. They they contain a presentation and some questions for discussion. And we felt like we should do a couple of classes on the general topic of mental health and spirituality um, to help keep it in people's consciousness. Um, not that we're trying to solve everything or, or provide the last word on it, because it's a huge topic, but every now and again, maybe once a year, we'll do a class or two uh, talking about the issues, developing the, 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 the understanding for the church bringing in new voices. It's one of the reasons I'm talking to you is uh, people have heard from me, they've heard from Penny, they've heard from John Partington or whatever, but we need to hear from new people. Next week, I'm interviewing two sisters from the east part of the church in London who are mental health professionals, uh, then uh, mental health nurses, I think. And I'm talking to them about their experiences and their thoughts about how their faith works together with what they do at work. And, you know, I'd We'll see where those go. Um, anyway, that's a long introduction, but 
kind of where I'm coming from. So we're trying to provide this year, at least a couple of classes to help continue the conversation that it's not something we're hiding under the carpet. It's not something we're ignoring. Neither is it something we say we fully understand, but let's keep learning together. Let's keep talking about it. So does that give you a bit of a picture? Absolutely. Um, and I, I think you, just those last couple of statements, I think brings up a really good point. Um, and, and something that we've talked about, even in, in the clinic that I'm working in right now, um, and from the military standpoint, you know, mental health has always carried a stigma about it that people don't want to talk about and people don't want to address. And even my email to you, I, I certainly believe that there were instances of mental health depicted in the Bible, even though they weren't directly, you know, saying, oh, this person has depression, this person has anxiety, this person has a psychosis. Um, but I think there, there are instances there that were addressed that we can apply to. And with that, I, I think we need to overcome those stigmas and be able to talk about mental health more openly. Um, and certainly from a, a person that doesn't have any mental health background uh, to, to help others, those people I, I'd encourage to go and take a couple of classes, go and investigate uh, mental health to be able to get a background in it so they can readily identify uh, people that are struggling with severe mental health issues that they can say, you know what, this is out of my ballpark. You know, let me help them, you know, direct them to somebody else that can help them more adequately. Um, because there are certain things, even in the church atmosphere, that I'm sure you've seen in the past, as, as I have witnessed uh, as well, that is a little bit out of, you know, the biblical advice giving um, and helping people out. Uh, sure. Just from one of my own experiences, uh, discipling back in the day, uh, I had one uh, disciple in, in our congregation that suffered from bipolar, uh, being bipolar, and everybody was, you know, saying, well, you know, that's just sin, he needs to come out. And, and work, you know, harder with it. And it's like, it, it, you don't work harder with bipolar. You, you got to get treated for it. Yeah. And uh, it, people just didn't understand, didn't equate it with it. And so it was very difficult to be able to help this person um, trying to get a balance, you know, between the church and between getting the help that he needed. Uh, so things like that need to be, you know, readily addressed. And it's not that it's the person's fault by any means. And it's not really the church's fault because they don't understand it either. Um, so there's got to be people that stand in the gap, you know, training and being the voice, if you will, like you and Penny um, saying, no, we need to help these people out. Um, and training others, too, to be able to have understanding with these people and saying, hey, I'm here to support you, whatever you need, and I'll be there for you. And I think that's the, the biggest thing that we can do for them. Yeah, it's interesting. Thanks. Uh, do you think that uh, you mentioned there about it going on a course? Mm -hmm. 
um, what kind of thing you do? What kind of people do you think would benefit from a course like that? Um, long time, long time ago when I had dark hair, um, and I was going to be a police officer. Uh, this was even before I was, uh, became a disciple. Um, even in that curriculum, uh, we were given introductory, you know, psychological courses, uh, so we could identify with people that we would come in contact with on patrols and stuff and be able to say, oh, this person is suffering. You know, we need to take special care of them. It wasn't that we were going to treat them. It wasn't that we were going to say and diagnose them. Um, but in the same light too, we knew that they had an issue and we could help them out better by getting them to the people that needed to treat them. So I think anybody that has any type of interest, any type of care, especially in the church, that we want to help each other out, you know, just taking an introductory course and understanding mental health uh, would be would be greatly beneficial for anybody. And it doesn't matter what age you are. Um, taking an introductory course, I think it would be would be fantastic. Uh, and certainly just in my, my police work, that, that helped out a lot, uh, understanding when people were depressed and, and identifying the symptoms that they were going through and associating that with, oh, this person has severe, men, you know, severe depression. That's, a, that's out of my, my wheelhouse to be able to help this person, but I can get them too. And because of that, I understood the situation that they were in as a police officer, you know, I could give them a little bit more compassion than I normally would just walking up on them and saying, what's wrong with this person? And having a completely different perspective of that person. Hmm. So I, I think anything that we can do, you know, and even, even with some of the articles that, that I sent you, I think just doing some basic research on it helps getting an understanding of mental health as a whole. Yeah, I um, I actually was just reading this afternoon one of the articles you sent me, which I have here, which was on uh, using mental health first aid to promote mental health in churches. Yeah, I haven't finished it yet, but I, I was reading it. I thought it was, it was fascinating, and it seems to me that um, there's at least some basics that everybody could become aware of. Right. I did a, I think it was Penny's prompting that sent me to a course I did 15 years ago now, I think. I think it was run by a mental health charity called, I think it was run by Mind, okay. which is a mental health charity here in the UK. And they did a first, first aid, mental first aid course. Um, which took a, it was, I think it was a day or half a day or two thirds of a day of role play, uh, instruction, discussion groups. And, and I learned a lot that day. M mostly what I learned is I don't know anything. <laughs> really. Right, right. I, I don't really know what I'm doing when I'm addressing mental health or emotional health issues. Uh, but it did 
it did make me more aware of and alert to signs and yeah. my own limitations and maybe right. more sober about what I can do and I can't do. Right. Right. And that really helpful. That That's very true. And, and even for me, I'm, I've got one more class to do and I've, I've, I'll graduate. Um, but even going through my master's program um, and becoming uh, a counselor, uh, and my, my specialty is in marriage and family therapy, but going into the clinic and, and actually starting counseling, you know, I was anticipating that my supervisor was going to be, you know, sitting alongside me, you know, kind of evaluating me as I go, you know, so when I came out of the session, you know, she would give me pointers and say, oh, well, you, you know, you, you kind of hit on this point, but you needed to, you know, kind of circle around and do the, you know, whatever I was doing wrong and, you know, kind of guide me. And, and she, she gave me the, the, the counseling packet and she said, okay, just go, go take them into this room. And it was like, well, are you coming along too? She said, no, no, you'll be fine. I was like, what? <laughs> and it was like complete, you know, shock. It was like, and then all the nerves started and all the like, am I prepared to do this? Am I, am I ready to do, I don't know if I can do this. You know, so all, and all the, the education that I, I had just went completely out of my head. It was like, what am I supposed to do? I can't remember. <laughs> so walking into the room, it was just like, you know, you go over the, the form and everything with them and, and ask them questions about their history and that. And then it slowly kind of trickled back in. It was like, oh yeah, okay, I got it. And it worked out, but it was just like overwhelming right from the start. And, uh, it, it but now things are, I'm still nervous, but it, it's getting better. Um, you know, how am I going to help these people? You know, what's the best way? And, and it's, it, it's interesting because now that I've gone through it a bit now, I've been there for almost nine months. Um, and hearing some of the clients come out and saying, you know, I'm really glad you're here. You're helping me a lot. That's like, wow. Okay. You know, but, uh, it, it's, it's been a learning, you know, it, it's a fire hose, you know, type of a, an experience, um, because it, it's, everyone is different. You know, mm -hmm. it, you treat somebody with, you think, oh, they all got depression. So they're all the same. No, they're not. They're all different. Mm -hmm. Every one of them, it has different aspects of it. So you can't just say, okay, one person's, a, you know, they're all depressive. So they're all the same. They all have different aspects. So you touched on something very important there because it's not like there's a formula, right? There is none. Even if you can, even if you can, accurately diagnose a person's situation which is even in itself a challenge to be sure of that but then to say right now i've got you you are depressed then you right. need to do a followed by b followed by c for the next six weeks and you'll be fine or something right right that's never the case and and so it's about treating the person as an individual and having a lot of patience 
and listening really well, I guess. Right. And, and that, that's one of the biggest things that we got taught right from the very start. And, and even as, as, you know, somebody as a disciple, um, being able to listen, um, you know, typically as humans, we want to fix things, right? Um, and especially males too. We want to. Has been known. It has been known, Jim. Yeah. Uh, yeah. (laughs) And, uh, you know, to sit there and just listen, um, it has been, and for me, especially, uh, has been uh, a challenge. Um, and just hearing their story and helping them understand different aspects of their story, you know, asking them a lot of open-ended questions, why, you know, how. Well, let, let me say, that, let me ask you then this, Jim, because I think this could be really useful, is for a non-trained person, just an average member of our congregations, mm-hmm. who's with somebody who's very troubled, um, maybe they, they obviously may not know exactly what the issues are and how severe they are, but let's just say they're with someone who's obviously troubled and they want to help create a sense where um, I'm here for you mm-hmm. right now, just right now. Who knows about next, tomorrow, but for right now, I'm here, you're troubled, okay. What would you suggest might be some things to bear in mind regarding helping that person who's troubled to feel like they can they can be themselves and and the person who's listening to to really listen well are there some particular ways of being uh that would help someone to feel listened to so if i'm i'm the person listening you know how can i help the person who's troubled to to feel listened to and to feel like you know the word we often use is safe um you know is there some things that you think could be useful for any anybody um a lot of a lot of the 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 tricks if you will um is being able to like you said make the make the person feel safe um but in the in the same light too oh thank you my beautiful wife brought me my coffee Mm. <laughs> very important yeah, yeah. Um, uh, to make them feel safe but in the same light too going back to the listening aspect of it hearing their story letting them guide where you go with it don't try to guide you know a specific aspect Oh, I want to get them to this point. There, there is no point to get. I, I, there is never a situation where I go into a counseling session saying, okay, at the end of this counseling session, I want to get them to this point. Because I, I have no idea from one week to the next what has happened in this, this week. Hmm. So, you know, they might have had a great week they might have had a horrible week. So I've got to be able to help them in whatever situation they go through. So I've got to listen to what, what's been going on. And there's going to be, as they discuss their, their week, that particular instance that you're working on, 
there's going to be key words that they're going to probably repeat over and over again. And if they do that, certainly you can key in on that word and say, okay, you brought up this word, you know, a couple of times, help me understand what, wh why you're focusing on that word. What, what meaning does that word have for you? And they may, more often than not, at least in my experience so far, they haven't even noticed that they've been hitting on that word. And they'll, they'll stop for a minute and they'll look and they'll realize, wow, I have been focusing on that. And they'll think about it for a minute and they'll start thinking about it. And they'll start talking about it. And then you just sit there and listen about that too. It's really all about them. It's not about me. So if I can keep them focused on what's happening to them and not the situation itself, it helps them to refocus on what is occurring in their heart and in, in their mind as well. And it helps them to be able to get a focus on what they need to do, not for me to direct them. Because for me to suggest, okay, you need to do this, this, and this, doesn't make a difference. But if they come up and they say, oh, you know what, maybe I need to do, once they have a realization of what they need to change, it makes all the difference in the world for them. Mm. Because they're the ones that made the change, not me. So I think if you help them, a lot of the key terms that I've always used was help me understand what you're feeling. You know, help me to see what you're experiencing. And then sitting back and listening to what they say. And there are times that when I've asked them what you're feeling, what you're experiencing, they've never examined exactly what they've been feeling. So they'll sit there for a couple of minutes in silence trying to think about that and i don't say a word i let them in the moment just think about it and i will not say anything and that's key to them because mm -hmm. it gives them the time so silence is part of absolutely silence is part of listening yes absolutely and it's uncomfortable mm -hmm. It's, it's uncomfortable to sit there for that amount of time to, to let them formulate and think about what they need to do. Now, certainly there's, you know, if it goes on, you know, three, four or five minutes, you don't want to go that far, but, you know, give them that time to be able to formulate and, and think about what, what's going on in their lives and in that situation because they've not, not think, thought about that before. So. so you're, in a sense, you're noticing, like you're talking about those key words. So you're paying attention to what they're saying. You're noticing perhaps words or phrases that come up more than once. And, th yeah. and it may be that that's a key that you can reflect back to them and say, I noticed that. It, you know, could you tell me more about it and what it means to you? 
So you're helping them explore what's going on. Absolutely. So right. 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 Because they'll 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 relate the story. Uh, for instance, um, I don't know if you all heard back in the UK, El Paso had a mass shooting here August third about a year and a half ago. I remember, yeah. And um, a lot of the folks that I've been seeing were either police officers, firefighters, first responders. And they'll relate what they, they saw or they did during the experience, but not what they felt. And so I've been mm-hmm. focusing on, okay, so what did you feel during that time? When you first walked through that door and you saw everything, what did you feel? Well, they didn't, they, nobody's ever asked them that question. Nobody's taken the time to, you know, specifically zone in on them and ask them their feelings for that. And they, they'll sit there in shock and say, I, I don't know. I never thought about it. I said, well, go ahead and think about it for a minute. And more often than not, they'll break down because they've not had that time to actually process that. And so their their trauma has been continuing because they've never gone through the grief. And that's just one aspect of it. And so, you know, it's, it's very, it's critical to be able to focus in on the person and help them through, not the situation, but then on the person, because the situation is, is a story. It's just a story. But unless the person can actually process what they've experienced and what they've felt, that's what makes the difference for them. And for them to be able to get over that hurdle to be able to start moving forward. So we, we can make all kinds of excuses and, and say, well, yeah, it's sin or, but that doesn't help them process their feelings. Right, because two different people might have the same story, but their experience of it could be completely different. Exactly, exactly. So that's why we mustn't, I guess what you're saying also is that we must be careful not to prejudge people and assume what right. their experience was. Right. Because we weren't there. We weren't, we're not, we are not them fundamentally. Exactly. Exactly. We can't just all assume that, yeah, they went through this, the same situation, the shooting. So they all had the same experiences and they didn't. No, they didn't. And maybe that's also one of the dangers of, or one of the reasons we should we be careful about saying, I understand, I've been through something like that, or whatever, right? Because in a sense, there might be, there may be some value in it, the fact that we've had a similar experience, possibly, but we can't use that as a way to necessarily say, uh, to connect with the people, the person we're talking to, because their experience may be completely different, even though the detail the, some of the details could be similar right right and that that's one of the things that even going through my education 
and through the clinic as well, they've all said, we've got to be very, very careful about sharing our experiences, our, our being open about what we've experienced and saying, oh yeah, I've had this similar experience because it may not relate to it at all and just shut down what they've just related to you um, and, and kind of sabotage the rapport that you just built with them and the trust that you just built with them instead of actually continuing it. Right. So I, I very rarely, unless the, the, the person asks me, have you ever shared, you know, been through something like that or experienced something like that? I very rarely bring up anything about it. It's all about them. Uh, individually, or if it's a couple that I'm, I'm you know, counseling, um, I very rarely bring up anything. I might, I might share books that I've read that might help them, um, but not experiences, not anything to deal with Cindy and I, um, unless it's very, very specific. Right. Mm. Mm. No, that makes sense. Yeah. If um, if you were so, if we if we think about this kind of situation in, I don't know, just a typical church context of a just just a couple of friends in church, you know, not necessarily a a, a set up session to talk or something, but just you know, a couple of friends and one of the members of the church, your, your friend, is going through what appears to be a really difficult time, not just a typically sad time or a typically stressful time, but a something beyond that's affecting them uh, in a more profound way. You know, they're losing a lot of sleep or they're, they're not managing to work like they normally would. Or instead of having a row with their spouse once a month, it's now kind of every other day or I don't know, but there's something sort of a bit out of control, it looks like. Yeah. Um, um it's something like that you know and you're having a chat um and you want to be constructive you want to be helpful uh, but you don't want to be intrusive so are there ways to draw people out yes i suppose that's what i'm asking you know how, what, are, what are some ways you could not be intruding but be a good friend and be someone yep. were, you know, willing to take a risk and have take some, you know, you courage in your hands because you care about somebody. So you want to be lovingly concerned, but you don't want to be pushy. Right. Uh, are there some ways, you know, to, to, to navigate that that you can think of? Yeah, I, I think the best way, I mean, and this is something that we did in the military all the time. Um, and we kind of practiced a lot, you know, battle buddies. Um, we were always in with somebody all the time because especially being deployed in a combat zone, you never wanted to be by yourself. Um, but it certainly transfers into um, even a counseling setting to any way, shape or form. The, the instance that I can really relate to is when I was a master sergeant um, in Iraq, we had one guy that was 
all of a sudden just kind of withdrawn. He was very vocal, very, very happy. And then all of a sudden it was like over, not overnight. It was over a couple of days, maybe a week. He withdrew. And it was like something's wrong, you know, and there was only maybe myself and somebody else that picked up on it. Everybody else was oblivious because we're all focused on what we needed to be doing the mission first, right? And uh, so I, I took him outside and uh, I was talking to him for a bit. And I said, so how are things going? I said, oh, okay. You know, very short answers. One, one word answers wasn't very long at all. Not as typical responses. And I said, hey, you know, I just wanted to let you know that I really care for you. I really love you. And uh, I'm here for you. If you need anything, you let me know. You know, if you need me to do anything, if you need me to just support you, whatever you need, I'm here for you. And he said, well, I really appreciate that. I said, it won't go. If, if you want to talk, it won't go any further than you and me unless you want wanted to. And he said, okay. And it was probably a day or so later, he came back to me and he said, hey, can we go outside and talk again? I said, sure. So I, I dropped everything right away and walked outside with him. And he said, um, I'm really having a hard time. I said, well, what's going on? He said, well, the wife and I are having problems, but you know, I'm really having problems with the first sergeant. He always seems, you know, down on me. He's always badgering me. He's always, you know, ragging on me. He's always after me. And uh, he said, I don't know how much more I'm going to be able to take. I said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, well, I think I want to end my life. Wow. I went, oh, okay. Well, you know, there are other options that you, you can do than ending your life. You got a lot more promise than that for your life. And uh, you got a lot more to give than right here and now. I said, why don't we go and talk to some people about it? And I said, I'll, I'll be there with you every step of the way. And he said, really? I said, yeah. I said, I'll be, I'll do whatever you need me to do. He said, okay. So I took him over to the, to the uh, chaplain first. And, uh, and then we ended up going to the psychologist. Um, but I never told the leadership that this was going on because he didn't have any trust in the leadership. Yeah. And I think that's, the big thing is letting people know, not giving them advice, not telling them what to do or how to do it, but being there for them. Right. And letting them know that you'll be there every step of the way with them. That's a beautiful um, story, Jim. I mean, I, I see two, two main components to that. And one is that you made the offer. Would you like to talk? If you want to talk, I'm here. It was an offer. 
it was an offer based on on your own what you what you noticed it mm -hmm. wasn't out you know out of, apropos of nothing it was something that you'd noticed and he must have realized that even though he was a bit monosyllabic at that point still he, he must have known why you were making the offer uh, uh, but you weren't intrusive and that gave him space to come back and in fact own in a sense to own his own issue mm -hmm. and then the other component seemed to me particularly significant is that you offered essentially an unconditional kind of support so that offer a meaningful offer with a sense of really compassionate and loving support for him anyway was um was the key right right and we can do that for people i mean you know not i'm not a trained counselor uh, and most of us in church are not going to be in that category but we don't have to have professional training to to do what you've just described right exactly hmm. even though i was going through my master's program at the time um i i was not i might have been halfway through my program at that point i don't even know if i was that far um but because i was in a psychological counseling program they made me the behavioral uh, health advisor for the unit, which had no bearing on on him coming to me. He happened to be in my section, um, and uh, so I I noticed his his uh, his withdrawing, um, and I took care of it. But I did that with other people, you know, outside of my section as well. Um, mm. So I was kind of bouncing around with a whole bunch of different people. And there were a couple other folks that were in different sections that had, you know, marriage issues as well um, that I helped out uh, as well. But his, his was the most, you know, significant because he was actually contemplating suicide. Mm -hmm. um, so we put him on suicide watch and all that, but, uh, and he's fine. Um, you know, he's him and I still stay in contact in that, but uh, it, it that is, you know, the, the, the significance is, you know, being there for somebody and letting them know that you're there for them without any conditions. You know, you're, you're not going to be, you know, saying, well, you've got to do, um, but being there and letting them know that you're there anytime he needs support or she needs support. Um, without you know a moment's hesitation you know i walk him from his his housing unit to work every morning i'd be with him at lunch i'd be with him anytime he wanted me to be there especially when he was on suicide watch um but at any point in time um and uh and even now when he calls me up or or uh, talks to me on zoom he said, hey, I just wanted to check in, see how, how things are going. Right. And it, it's, you know, it, it's very sporadic. It's not, you know, every week or anything, but it's every couple of months, three months, whatever. I'll get a note from him or something. Hey, just wanted to see how you're doing. But is, is that type of a thing that once you build the trust and you build the rapport and you've got that, that foundation with a person, 
then you know that you're doing the right thing. You don't need to say anything. You never need to say anything. But if they know that you're there for them, that's all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. It speaks to, I think, the primacy of love. Right. Love comes first. And love is never in a hurry. Nope. Right. Hurry and love don't go together. No. So no. that means creating space. It means being patient. And it means withholding judgment and advice until you really have that established that level of trust and and that you hopefully the person knows they've been listened to right uh, and i think you know some of this will vary a lot person to person um i think some of us who are in a position where we could be a listener could be a buddy the difficulty for some of us is that we're afraid of that it's it's hard it's hard to be that giving that available to, to people and we may lack the courage and the compassion we need help from God because it's not naturally within us that's exactly it. right and then I think some of us we we have the concern but the concern is very strongly attached to a desire for justice and righteousness to prevail and the danger with that is someone says look i'm i'm really feeling quite low more low than usual to the point where i'm not sure i you know i can get carry on with work and i might i don't know what i'm going to do and and you talk and they say well it's because i i've got addicted to pornography or something and then for a certain type of christian there's the oh well it's obvious then you just need to repent you know you need to get throw out your pornography you need to burn it you need to confess yeah. everything and you know and the difficulty for some christians i think is because there's a place for a, a rebuke right i mean there's a place for a challenge there's a place for a correction the bible does talk about it indeed jesus does confront people from time to time so there's a place for that um but i think what i'm sensing talking to you and from my own experience is that when someone's in the middle of, of an emotional crisis or a mental health crisis that's not the time to bring that out right maybe down the line who knows but not not at the time when they are particularly vulnerable it, 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 would you see it that way or would you see it a bit differently or how, how would you think about that oh absolutely um given this this guy's particular situation and and going through his walk with him um he even turned to me a couple of times uh through it um and it was it was down the road it, it, this whole process we were there for a year and a half and this process with him probably took two or three months uh before you know he was kind of off of suicide watch um but even through that you know there was two or three times that he turned around to me and he said you must think i'm a terrible person and I said, why would you think that? What, what, what makes you think that I, I think you're a terrible person? And he said, well, because, you know, I want to take my life and, and, and I don't want to deal with these things. 
I said, no, I, I don't think you're a terrible person at all. I, I think you're, you're a person that has some problems that you want to deal with and we're dealing with them together. And, and he looked at me for a minute when I said that and he said, what do you mean by together? I said, I'm, I'm here for you. I, to I told you that from the beginning. I'm here for whatever you need me for. If it's just to talk, if it's just to be sitting together, if it's just whatever you need, I'm here for you. And he went, oh, okay. And that gave him the confidence to continue. I didn't have to give him any advice. I didn't have to tell him what to do. I just needed to be there for him. And that's all he wanted because he didn't feel like anybody else was going to be there for him. And uh, at the end of the whole thing, he kind of turned around to me and he told me, he said, you know, if you weren't here, he said, I'd probably be dead. But with you here, I don't think I could have done it with anybody else. Hmm. And I went, well, I appreciate that. Um, and I, I'm glad I was here for you. Uh, because you matter. Well, and, that's beautiful. Uh, yeah. And that, that's the thing. So that's so powerful, people need, Jim. People need to know that they matter. Yeah, and they do. I mean, this is the thing that we lose when we're in that place of emotional turbulence or mental health challenge. We lose perspective on our value to other people and to God. Right. Right. You just, you feel like you are a terrible person or you're beyond help or God's not with you anymore or all kinds of things. Um, and we need that someone to notice, someone to offer, someone to be a support. And maybe also, I think the, the other thing I realized I hadn't mentioned from that situation you're talking about is that you also signposted him to other people who like the um um chaplain chaplain i was gonna say padre yeah. that uh, okay same thing <laughs> right yeah okay so the uh the chaplain and then the what the psychologist psychologists or, or whatever yeah so there's that component as well and i suppose that's one of the things is we, we need to bear in mind as sort of average Joe Christians is that especially when someone's particularly disturbed, it may be that, you know, we, we can point them towards other resources, whether it's, you know, a GP in this country, at least, right. uh, or, or perhaps counselors or other people. Um, that's part of our role potentially as well, because we don't want to try and it doesn't help if we try and delve into something for which we have no training. Exactly. Exactly. And, and there, there are so many instances that for, for good or ill, we want to help the people and we want to make them better. And we, we try to do what we can, but in the same light too, we may be just pushing the problem off instead of yeah. getting it resolved. Um, and it's better to just say, you know what, I'll be there for you. I'll walk with you. 
but let's go see a professional. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm. And even within the church, we've got professionals that we can turn to. Mm. Um, and, and like you said, the Partingtons, um, you know, we can turn to them uh, and we can walk along with them and be there for them. Certainly can't be in the sessions, um, uh, but, you know, we can be there, wait for them, come back out and let them know that we're still there for them. Um, but, uh, and that's the thing is we don't have to have all the answers. Um, and there, there's even times when, for me, uh, even as a counselor, you know, I, I, I know that there's things that, okay, I need to refer you over to, you know, Dr. Ramirez because they need to evaluate you for certain things. Um, and uh, so I, I do that, you know, even out of my wheelhouse uh, where I'm at. So it, it, it's not a bad thing and, mm -hmm. and it's okay. You know, we don't have to have the answers. It takes the pressure off and allows us to be a genuine friend. Right. Rather right. than trying to fix people. Yeah. yeah, that's very powerful. Can I ask you a, a question from a slightly different angle? Um, okay. Would you have any thoughts for, let's say, um, uh, let's say I'm a Christian and I, rather than being the listener, I'm the one with the, the challenge, right? I'm feeling like yeah. something's out of control and I might not be able to put my finger on it. I might not know what's going on, but whether I'm just particularly down or anxious, or whether I'm, um, you know, um, and I'm thinking, you know, what's going on? Where is God in this? Um, maybe it's sin. Maybe I'm just no good. You know, the kind of emotional and mental turmoil that, that can take over. Is there something that you think, or a way of thinking about that, or a way of, for a person themselves in the middle of that to, to sort of, something that would trigger their ability to go and even look for some help, whether it's professional help or just a friend to talk to that we've been sort of discussing just now. Is there other words, I don't know what it is, words of advice, words of comfort, words of perspective that might help someone to go and um, look for what they need? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um... And, and that's a harder thing to do, um, especially from a standpoint of people typically uh, don't think they need help. Right. Um, and, and there's very few, well, well for instance, uh, one of the, the people I see in counseling didn't want to come to counseling. He was mandated to come to counseling. Um, and, but since being in counseling, he's now kind of relented and said, yeah, I really needed this. I'm glad I came. You know, hindsight always is 2020, right? But, you know, he, he's, he's even readily admitted that he would have never came on his own volition. Now, there, there are others that have come on their own volition and said, yeah, I want to seek out counseling. You know, what, what inspires them? What, what 
what prompts them to come into counseling. On our intake form, we actually have a line. You know, what come, what made you come into counseling? And it's oh, my marriage, you know, my kids, my, you know, I want to be better person, a myriad of different quite, uh, reasons. But it, it's never been, you know, something like, oh, my friend advised me to. I've never seen that. Um, but in, in the same light, too, you know, if we see somebody that's in, in distress and crisis, um, like I did with this guy that was withdrawn, if you some, see somebody withdraw that fast, you know that there's something going on. You know, intervention on your part uh, to a person that that's like that, walking down the street in their underwear, you know, say, hey, are you okay? You know, what's going on? Um, you know, because very well, they may not know and say, hey, why don't we go and, and talk about this for a bit? And then in, in that talk, you know, again, let them relate to you, their story. You know, don't give them any advice or anything, but let them relate their story. You know, make the suggestion of saying, hey, let's go talk to somebody about this. And then help them walk through it together. Uh, mm -hmm. Be there for them. Um, it, it's never a thing of, you know, making them saying, you need to go see a psychiatrist. You need to go see a psychologist. Because that, that's just, you know, abrupt. <laughs> and, it, and it's just going to put them on the defensive. Um, and those types of people in, in those situations are more often likely never to go and see them then. Um, because then they're going to be really self-conscious about it. So they, they're not going to, but if they know that there's somebody in their corner, that's willing to help them out and be there for them, then they're likely to go and see them. Very rarely have I seen people come in to the clinic and say, oh, I, I'm, I'm here because I want to be. Hmm. That, that rarely ever happens. So, I mean, there are occasions, you know, the, the marriage is falling apart and the husband comes in, but the wife doesn't because she doesn't think she wants to or doesn't think there's a need or whatever. Hmm. But he sees there's a need. You know, the, the drinking is, you know, destroying their marriage and he wants to fix it. And I, you know, in, in the same light too, it's like, well, you know, it takes two here. You know, if one's not working, it likely is not going to work out. But if it's an individual, you know, and they, they're having a problem, whatever that problem might be, and they come in, you know, we can work on that situation. So. It really is situational dependent, um, and it's going to be more the individual's decision on what they want to do. If, I, don't, I don't know if it's an American adage or not, um, but the old adage about leading a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, you know, it, it, it's the same kind of situation that this is, you know, you can suggest it 
Um, but if they don't want to do it, you can't force them to do it. So, but you still be there for them, yeah. you know, let them know that they've got a support mechanism there, uh, in you, uh, to help them out whenever they need it, but you don't want to enable them either. So it's a fine line. Yeah. That may be a topic for another conversation, another time about, <laughs> I mean, cause there is a whole there's a whole area there of conversation about the dangers of being a, the kind of person who thinks we're riding to the rescue and actually we're getting validation by our attempts to help and support. And it's really more about us than about actually, are we the person that, that person needs? Are we actually being helpful for them? Is it God really we're doing this for out of love for God and hit and the person, or is it really about us feeling like, you know, we're, we're doing something important and um that is right. a danger we got to be, be aware of as maybe That's where good. the community really matters that we're you know we're not just being a lone ranger i mean yeah. we've got to respect confidentiality and private stuff but on the other hand uh doing things secretly is also has its dangers but that's a whole nother can of worms i think <laughs> yeah yeah that, that is another topic yeah absolutely yeah another chapter of the book yeah <laughs> good that you're gonna write yeah? <laughs> yeah someday someday hopefully after the masters <laughs> after the masters and then after my phd so after the phd yeah after yeah. the Nobel Prize. Okay. Yeah, so. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that one alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Jim, this, we, this has been brilliant. Um, I'm going to have to wrap it up in a minute. As I said earlier, I've got to do a couple of things. Yeah. Um, no worries. Um, I mean, we can do this again. So. Oh, I'd love to do another session. Um, uh, can I, is there, is there anything that we've not touched on that you think you'd really want to make sure that people understand or that people consider that they think about when they're uh, in a congregational setting, trying to maybe be a support for people, notice when people need support, um, be a good signposter, a good listener. Is there anything we haven't talked about that's gone through your mind? You thought, ah, I, I must mention this. Ask a lot of questions. Um, Certainly, you got resources uh, like like you said. Uh, Penny's done a lot of investigation into, into mental health. You have too, uh, the Partingtons as well. Um, if you have any reservations whatsoever about giving advice on any type of topic um, or, or situation that that you're experiencing, ask questions. Um, if you suspect mental health at all, um, ask questions. Uh, seek advice about it and say, hey, is this something that I should, you know, walk the walk with them, but, you know, steer them to somebody else that has more experience, more, more education uh, in this, this area. Um, and, and certainly uh, bring them to, to those people, uh, Penny yourself or, or, or whoever, and uh, uh, make sure that they, they get the help that they need um don't try to tackle it yourself uh don't don't bite off more than you can chew and uh, uh you know be there for the people get them get them the help they need uh but uh, uh make sure that the, it's the help that 
uh, is going to make the, the lasting change, make the, the rapport and the trust and, and, and the friendship and the love uh, that, you know, God expects us to do and not so much uh, for our, for our own benefit, just like you said now um, that we're, we're trying to make uh, a point uh, in their lives. Uh, but uh, uh, making sure that they're getting the help that they need. Great. Thanks, Jim. Um, that's brilliant. And uh, one last thing, actually. Um, are there any scriptures, any verses, any examples in the Bible that particularly help you in terms of the way that you think about helping people, being there for people, you know, the example of Jesus or other passages? Are there any particular bits that, or parts of the Bible that speak to you on this topic? Oh, gosh. Um, all the one another scriptures okay. um, uh, definitely apply. Um, it, it, it's kind of funny that you bring that up uh, because a lot of the, 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 the one client that I was talking about that went through the shooting, um, with all our, our, our clients, they all fill out these intake forms. And we even have a line in there, you know, what's your religious affiliation? Are you still currently active? And are you still attending that church? If not, you know, who are you attending with? Um, so I, I think in every one of my clients so far, um, I say, oh, so I see that, that you've got some religious background. Let me offer... <laughs> And I'll bring up scriptures or I'll bring up topics that I encourage them to go back and, and you know, research and study out. Um, and like this one guy uh, that went through the shooting, uh, he has a religious background. Uh, he's, he, I think he was Catholic. Now he's non-denominational, uh, which really leaves the door open here in El Paso for a myriad of different things. Um but uh, he and I said, are you going to a church now? And he said, no. So I said, okay. And uh, he's really struggling with a lot of forgiveness. So I said, well, I think you need to go back and study that out. And he has uh, on his, his own volition. I said, you got a Bible at home? He said, yeah. So he goes back and he, he studies it out as well as I do. So when he goes back, um, I said, oh, so did you look at this verse? You know, he'll, he'll give me his verses. I said, oh, so did you, did you study this verse out? So we'll kind of compare notes. Uh, so it, it's interesting to be able to use that. Um, so, but for mental health itself, um, you know, Luke was a great physician. I don't know if he was in mental health or not. Um, I kind of suspect he was to a certain degree. Um, you know, Jesus obviously being the great physician, um, I think, you know, touched on mental health a lot. Um, but I think the, the one and other scriptures are really the things that draw me in uh, mostly uh, to mental health. Uh, and it doesn't matter if they're disciples or not. It doesn't matter if they have a religious background or not. Um, they're still God's children, and it still makes a difference, and it still matters. 
and, and that's really what kind of prompts me to go go forward yeah yeah you're right i mean the one and other scriptures are really just an outworking of a christ-like love yeah. if we love like christ we will be this way with each other and so that's got to be the way we are with certainly with each other in the church but the same principle applies to you know anybody we know exactly yeah. right yeah brilliant jim wow um what can i how can i bless you jim uh <laughs> anything i can do for you i mean i'm really grateful for all this uh anything i can pray for any way i can be a blessing to you <laughs> you are every day i listen to your podcast so i'm i'm very grateful for that so I, I I do that for my quiet times. I do that midday as well to keep me going. So I'm very grateful for all your podcasts. So please keep them coming. Please keep them going. Um, so. Thanks. Uh, I will. I've done fewer, as you may have noticed, I'm sure, recently with my mom dying and everything. But oh, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. But I think uh, it'll pick up again. It's beginning to pick up now. Um, and it'll pick up some more. Uh, over the next few over the next few weeks i think so well, certainly yeah. I, I sent you my note for for your mom but certainly i you know i want to make sure that you know our, our thoughts and our prayers and our condolences are, are to you yeah and, thank you. Uh, you know certainly whatever we can do from five thousand miles away um we're here for you so uh thanks jim well, seriously, I mean, this conversation and the emails we've had about this topic and the PDFs you sent me are phenomenal. And I think we're going to end up with in this, even in these just these two classes, as well as the things we've done before, I think we're going to end up with a body of materials that's going to be tremendously helpful uh, for a lot of Christians. But Jim, it's a funny thing. It's a long road, the Christian life. And I am so grateful that God made our paths cross all those years ago so are we <laughs> we talk about you guys all the time oh, thank you <laughs> we love uh, you guys so much. love you too i better go and make write these boring emails but they need to be done yep i understand you know <laughs> but thanks it, i'll be back in touch yes please and and uh just just for uh your benefit if if you or penny need any more articles or want any more articles on certain specific areas that you feel like you need to address let me know and if you want to do another zoom session let me know as well i would like to do both of those things and i'll get back to you okay thanks i'm here for you god bless all right have a great day thanks bye for you bye for now bye-bye what did you think what struck you? What did you find most inspiring? What did you find most challenging? How might you be able, now that you've heard this, to help somebody else? Or if you're going through a particularly tough time emotionally or with a mental health challenge, what did you hear from this that helped you to have confidence that God is with you, that he's with you even in the darkness, even in that darkness, it's not dark to God. He's going to be with you and is with you and loves you no matter how you're feeling and what's going on. 
Let me know if you've got any questions. I'd be happy to receive them. Email me at malcolm at malcolmcox.org and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Next time we have another interview, this time with two members of our sister congregation in East London. Uh, they are both 20 year plus mental health nurses and Christians and they'll be sharing next time. That's uh, Nossi and Sekai. So look forward to that. And until then, take care and God bless.